Hey you, thanks for tuning into the Waiting List Podcast. I'm Long Long. I'm Daniel. And I'm Jacqueline. And we are three watch friends with a healthy obsession for watches. So sit back and relax with us while we chat with collectors, industry giants, and share some good vibes. I'm sure like most of the audience, there's a time where we go into a place and we are clocking the room for watches. Who's wearing what? And does it go with their outfit? But I guess the burning question we're always actually asking ourselves is, is there anybody in the room who's a watch collector stroke nerd like me? And whilst in places like Hong Kong, Rolexes are like hitting your face left, right and center wherever you go, we all know that doesn't necessarily mean you're the same as us. We look for even more clues as we ask, is he or she a real watch collector or someone that just bought a Rolex or just bought a watch, bought an expensive watch? But one way that is always a giveaway is someone who took their watch off their factory strap or bracelet and changed it up with a strap. And in many ways, therefore placing their personal character and taste on the watch itself. We all know when it's done right, the strap can elevate the watch and draw us to the person who paired it with the watch. When it's wrong, we're shouting inside of ourselves, what a weirdo, or why would even anybody consider pairing it like that? But what always seems to actually come out when somebody pairs it wrong is still my strap, as we give him the nod of approval for caring enough to even change the strap. So why this prolonged story? Well, if you hadn't guessed it, today's episode is about watch straps, and who else better to get on the, than the now pretty famous D-Lugs founder, Ken. So welcome to the show, Ken. Thank you. Thanks for, for the amazing introduction, Daniel. That was quite the story you've painted for, yeah. for everyone. Yeah, that was pretty deep, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's true, though. Like, I mean, you, you can really tell a, a, a watch nerd, I guess, from someone who, who bothers to change out the stop strap, I guess. Is yeah, this, this a good is... time to say this episode sponsored by Ken? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> do, do you guys need a sponsor? We can talk about it after the show. Oh, I don't need a sponsor, but I want free straps. Oh. <laughs> it's cheap like that. <laughs> oh, but 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 thank you. I think it's is I'm I'm a huge fan of your show. I've I've listened to quite a lot of episodes. Um your your voices are very familiar and, and you know I've I've yes, is you, you guys accompany me to my drive to work and to different places and I I think I enjoy like what you guys are doing because it gives me an insight into people and, and businesses, I guess, or collectors beyond just what you see um, on Instagram, which is very exciting to to hear about. Yeah. So, oh, so pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you, you can always come back onto the show again with some, you know, if you're going to say stuff like that. But, yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's exactly where we're going to start off with, actually which is, I want to know more about you. So before diving into straps, what were you doing? Right. Um, so I, I I got into straps and, and uh, watches, I guess, around 2016, 2017. Um, this was back when I was um, in my uni- uh, doing my overseas studies, uh, doing my mm-hmm. master's in the US. Um, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to pick up a hobby and then, uh, my my then girlfriend, uh, she suggested why not try something like leather crafting, and and I've always been interested in leather as a, as a as a product, right? Like leather bags, leather shoes, and I was like, oh yeah, in the US is it was quite a thriving community, I would say, of people who were into crafting. 
uh, and it's something that I wanted to try out. So I, I gave that a shot and I picked it up for quite a few months. Um, I was like learning it on YouTube and then going on Reddit forums. Um, back back then there weren't as many like tutorials and all that. Um, so I picked up letter crafting first as a hobby. Um, then over time I started to pick up commissions and 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 projects for other people. Um, around the same time I got into like watches. Just I, I guess it's a rite of passage for for a lot of guys. I guess. Um, so getting more interested into watches. Um, and started making straps for people and for myself. Um, and and at some point yeah. I took on more and more projects for watch straps. Um, and I was also looking at at the market back then, or, or rather where people could shop for straps. And I realized that there were a lot of people coming to me for straps because they wanted something good quality, but they didn't really want to wait for the products. Like, mm. like most people are quite impatient, I guess. You just want it um, here right now, um, but you want it to be good quality and you want a good price for it. Like like Singaporeans, you want everything to be good um, and, and, and to pay the, the best price for that. Um, but at the time, there weren't many places where you could get really good stuff immediately. I think most of the shops that were selling straps, you know, if you go on Hodinki, for example, um, the the quality is 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 all right. It's it's not the best, um, and the price point is usually pretty high. Um, Can and, I just and, say, like, yeah. your face, although you said it was okay, your face said it was shit. <laughs> like for those that can't see your face, your yeah. face and your hand gesture. <laughs> actually said the opposite and said it was shit yeah. oh man you, you exposed mean, me right there i thought i thought this was uh no 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 video uh podcast no but, but even the <laughs> the comment about singaporeans i was like wow he's really like trying to put this in like in a nice you know nice way of describing <laughs> singaporeans no no like because 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 <laughs> i'm like that too right like i yeah. i want to get the, the best for 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 whatever i'm the spending on <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> right right so we, we we are value hunters and, and the bargain yeah. hunters right um the, the the problem is that if you want to get good quality you have to go to a letter crafter like myself and mm -hmm. and oftentimes especially the good ones you end up having to wait like a few weeks or, or even longer depending on their order books because most of the time these were just like single crafters or they just have a very small team of people who are making straps um so the the, the waiting time is quite long yep yeah then right. Yeah, so I was just going to run it back a little bit. So you were doing masters, and did you then go straight into straps, or did you get a job? Yeah, no, I I got a job. Um, when I I I came back to Singapore, I was serving in the I was in the government sector for a little bit, um, doing a civil service. So this this is one is something that not many people know. So I was having a full time job for the longest time, and only earlier this year, then I I stepped away from that, um, to run Deluxe full time. So, so the the brand is like five years old now, but for mm. pretty much all of their life, I was I was um, running it as a as a side gig almost. So, okay, I also yeah. want have I want to ask. Okay, so in the background, I see you're like happily married in that picture. Like, is <laughs> is that your so your wife? Was that is that yeah. the girlfriend you were describing? Yes, yes, that's that's my okay. my girlfriend, my, my wife. So oh, we just moved in. Sure, yeah, a little I bit have to say. I wasn't sure oh. that was you because that guy in the photo looks what? way more pop than you. <laughs> no, he does. No, I'm just, I'm just... <laughs> he does. He looks way more buff and looks white. <laughs> it's, 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 true. it's been it's been some time, and uh, I became a dad in between. So I yeah. think <laughs> lots of things happened. And then you shrunk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, but. Like, does your wife try to, like, take credit for it now? And does she remind you, I was the one that told you, like, you should get into this? 
if if she's she's if she's sitting right next to me, you'll see her nodding yeah. right away. Yeah. <laughs> she, she she started not just my my crafting, um, but yeah. she was the one who gave me my my first watch as well. Um, oh, so she was the one who got me to to watches um back way back when I guess yeah. But she she she. But she regrets I it think now. sometimes she regrets it. Sometimes she takes the credit. It depends um what's yeah. happening then. If I'm like buying a new watch, then she's yeah. like, oh no, I got you down the rabbit hole. But if she's talking about the business, then yeah, she's the one who 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 takes the credit for for starting me on this path, I guess. That's really cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, like you, you took a job, and did, was there any point where you knew this was actually going to be a thing, or for you was it like, oh, I'm just going to keep doing this side thing, side thing? And also, uh, the question, another question. So that's the first question was you said that people kept approaching you for these how, how did they even find you like what do you mean they kept approaching you and nobody comes to me for straps like how did you initially do the marketing right so so i would say pre-deluxe there was a period where i was um operating as a leather crafter on my own i had a, a different account name and all that so different instagram um so so i was just making stuff and just posting the things that i made so people were were commissioning like wallets um card holders. So I was actually making more wallets than than straps. Um, because straps were were quite difficult to craft on your own. because uh, the the it's like the bigger the item, the easier it is to get away with like mistakes when you when you're crafting. So if you're making a strap like 19mm versus 20mm makes a big difference. But when you're making a wallet it's not as 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 significant. Um so I was posting on my Instagram about um, the different projects that I was making, um posting on like some men's forums, uh, men's fashion forums. So um, that's where I got people to to uh, got customers, I guess, who were interested in getting something that was handcrafted. Uh, you you're not paying so much for the the brand; you're paying more for like the product, the the labor, um, the expertise, I guess. Um, it, it for the longest time it was uh to, to your first question, it was a side gig, but I kind of knew that I wanted this to be full time. It's just whether it was feasible to do so, because like I I was quite fortunate in that. Um, this was something I really enjoyed, like this whole business, because it brought together a few different passions of mine. Like letter crafting was a big one. Um, photography, I think to to do the marketing and all that, I, I did a lot of the photos myself. Um, I, I enjoy photography. Um, I enjoy uh, running a business. So like just the process of like, how do you set something up? How do you grow it? How do you um, um, tackle the different challenges that you face along the way? So I think I was quite lucky that the different things that I had to do in the business were all things that I enjoyed. Of course, there were some parts that's not great, but by and large, like the the overall process of, of um establishing gloves was quite enjoyable for me. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the challenge was just to make sure that it's feasible in the long run. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask, like, you, I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice because after everything what you just said, I have the utmost respect. I mean, starting up a business is not easy, right? Full stop. And the fact that you did everything, you, you had the initiative to, I mean, just having the initiative to go mm. and do stuff and then thinking, oh, I need to now post on Instagram or post on uh, Reddit. I need to find this out and find this out. I, you're, you're making this sound like really logical and, and straightforward when it actually it isn't. So I want to go back to how you actually do you think you build a business? You know, if you were going to give advice to somebody about building a business from scratch, right? Yep. yep. Not like I got loads of bunch of investment money, right? Yeah. What would you do? How did you do it? I, I think the most important part I would say is 
that you have to have the passion for it. Like you can't you can't come into a wanting to start a business just to make a bucket load of cash because like you, you can survive for you can bring you through for like six months a year maybe, but to keep it going consistently, like to tell yourself that this is worth it, the hours you're spending here is worth it. it you gotta make sure that it's something fun for you in the first place. Otherwise, it's just challenging for you to even take the first step, like you said. Because to me, the, the 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 process of like solving the the problems or finding the right customers, selling to them, and trying to market what we do, um, all those were were interesting problems that I had to try to solve. Um, so I, I really enjoyed different stages of it. Um, and I, I think more importantly is you know you got to find, so so you got to have passion is one. I think finding the right product market fit is important as well. Like you got to see where there's a gap for you to come in and, and play a significant role and bring value. I think that's a very important part. Like if you're just doing something that other people already are doing, then I think you're not really delivering much value to the people you're serving. And I think that that will show through after a while. Like um, if you're doing a drop shipping business, for example, where you're just, yeah. you're just listing products that another website is selling and you're just being the middleman. To me, I think that that doesn't bring any value. And in the long run, like people will see through a business like that. Um, so I think most important is that you got to see where there's a gap and where is a pain point and then come in with a solution that makes sense to people. Um, and I always try to strive for like a win-win-win solution. So where everyone, you know, you're happy buying the product from us. I'm happy to sell it to you. Uh, my crafters are happy. You know, everyone is happy with with the arrangement. I think that helps to really bring things uh, forward and move your business along. Okay. I want to just like chime in. So... Yesterday, we interviewed Ming, and mm. my takeaway with Ming, right, is that, okay, he's creative with his photography, but then people found him. So all he did was take this creativity and put it out there, and then the right kind of people find him. But then at the same time, he also mentioned what you said, which is you find this gap in the market, and then you fill it. So with you, so I see this part. So you find a gap, you fill it, but then... If I expanded on what Dan is asking, I want to know how do you go from I'm doing this for fun, making leather goods, into like I'm going to put this out there and then suddenly it's a business. That like what? How does that process look like? Yeah. Um. So so when when I when I started taking commission projects, um, at the start it was it was fun because I, I enjoy crafting and, and like if I if it pays for my hobby, that's great. Um. And then at some point, I I thought to myself like. Um, cause, cause I enjoy starting up a business as well. And I think I wanted a way out of like the, the, the standard corporate rat race, I guess. Um, so you're not just, you know, working for someone else. You're not just stuck in that, that same routine day after day. Um, so I, I wanted to give it a shot and see whether I could establish something from this hobby. Um, I, I didn't have an idea of like where it would take me or, or how, how long this process might take or, or how, how it's going to turn out. Um, to me, it was more like, um, I'm I'm spending so much time crafting. Um, why don't I try using my expertise in crafting instead of being the crafter myself, and see if I could could establish a business from there? Um, so this I would say this was around like late mid to late 2017, where I decided to like try something else apart from just being a crafter myself. Um, so that's where I, I guess that's where that that switch and that change from from me just being a hobby into being potentially being a business happened. But it wasn't like I, I threw all my eggs in the basket and decided that, you know, I'm going to go full time into this and, and just grow the business from there. Um, it was something that I wanted to give it a shot and see if it works. 
and mm. um, and decide thereafter what path to take. I guess. Mm. Yeah. So okay. I guess like I'm um, paraphrasing, yeah, because I love to do that on this show. Um, but you, um, what's the word? Like you manage the risk by having another job. Yeah. But really, the change from you from a hobby to a, a business was a more of a mindset change, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, this, so yes. Mindset and then risk management. Yeah. Correct. I I guess I was like I I had enjoyed that phase of letter crafting, but I I knew that I didn't want to be spending all my nights and and weekends just crafting for um for individual orders, and I wanted to to make use of my expertise in a better way, um because because what I had really wasn't just like the, the the crafting itself, right? I had the skill sets for that. But I wasn't the best letter crafter around. Um, I, mm. I wasn't the most efficient letter crafter because I was having a day job anyway. Um, but I thought, why could I could I try to to bring my knowledge and and try to fill this gap that I also identified um, since I was a watch collector making straps for others and trying to solve that that pain point, I guess. Right. So at the start, you're kind of like. Um doing everything aren't you you like you said you're doing the photography you're making the straps you're doing the customer service you're putting it onto the sites everything like how crucial is that that you're getting experience in every part of the business before you settle into a, a specific role right i think it's like I, to me that's the most crucial thing um that that a founder needs to to have and do uh, even today, like I, I think that it's in to me. I, I personally, I try to do everything that I ask my team to do, or at least know what's involved uh, in asking them to do something before getting them to embark on it. Because um, two reasons, I think. Firstly, if you don't know how to do it yourself and you just ask someone to do it, you don't really know what's the effort involved to get it done. Like I can just tell you to go create a YouTube video, but if you don't know what it takes to like write the script, set up the camera. Um, do the recording and, and do the editing and piecing it all together, then to you, it's just like, oh, make a YouTube video. That's pretty simple. But um, then your 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 team members, they are the ones who are like trying to figure it all out and you don't really understand what they're going through. You can't help them a bit. Um, so I think that's the first reason why it's so important. And I think the second reason is that, you know, you, you, um, you, you can't, people can't like just lie to you about something or they can't, um, pretend what they're doing if, if you know exactly what exact what, what they are doing you can tell when like they're not doing things the right way or like um they they they're not being most efficient with it and you can then step in like for me i can then step in and guide people on how to do things because i've done it before I, I know what it involves it may not be the best way but at least that was how i did it and this is how you can start doing it so i think it's really important for me to be able to understand and do each of the process and being involved in that from the beginning of the business was very important. Um, so I, I'm keenly aware on like the different challenges that each of the role faces. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've got one question before you come in long, which is obviously you're a leather crafter, you're making these stuff and like you, you admit that you're not the best at it. And then let's say you hire more crafters. Do you ever worry about, you know, I teach people how to make this stuff. And then they can just go and do it themselves. And then, you know, they, they know my business, you know, it's, it's doesn't, maybe it's not the hardest thing to do. Does that, did that not play on your mind, you know, on who you bring in and, you know, that they could leave and just take your stuff? 
Um, it, it does, I guess it does play on my mind a little bit, but I think a business is not just a product. Like you, you need much more than a product to build whatever we're trying to build. Um, there, there are, you know, so, so how, how I've done things is that, um, when I decided to switch this into a business, I tried to source for different crafters and different crafting partners that I can work with. Um, because I, I knew that I didn't like have the means to build up a team on my own and train them and all that. Um, so I wanted to leverage on crafting people who are already in the, in the, in the trade, um, and who are looking for someone to partner with. So like they focus on the crafting, I can focus on the front end of things. Uh, and growing the business, uh, so so that's that's where we are today as well. Like, um, our straps are made by crafters based in Vietnam. Um, I, I don't hide this fact. Um, we we work exclusively with them. They work exclusively with us, and we work very very closely. So, uh, we talk on a daily basis about all the different straps we're making, how they're going to make them, um, and th it did. You know, th there's always that that lingering fear that like, what if they decide to study on their own? But I think that's where you really need to have trust with the people you work with. And I think they also understand that like it's not so easy to just start up a business. Um, today there are many crafting um, workshops or, or studios in in Vietnam and in in different places in Asia that are trying to provide straps to different businesses. Um, and and there are many many businesses who have tried to do something like what we're doing, right? Providing handcrafted straps at lower price points. Um, but I think it takes more than just a product to build a business. And so, you know, trying to tie it all together is is the value that I'm bringing. Um, and if you are a letter crafter who's wanting to start this on your own, you can do it. Um, definitely, there are people who are doing it. Um, but you know, it's just it's 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 not just that skill set alone that you need to have, I guess. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you: Do you have a mentor or mentors? Uh, and then who's helping you? Um. <sighs> Not um, in the official sense, I guess. Um, I, I don't have like a mentor that I can talk to or chat on a monthly basis. Um, mm -hmm. to, to me, I think my... But but that, that being said, I think it's important for, for especially for founders to learn because you, you're often going in uncharted territories and you don't really know what to do next. There's no one telling mm -hmm. you like, this is what you have to do next. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, a lot of the learning comes from <clears throat> observing things around me. Um, mm -hmm. observing what other brands do, um, learning from e-commerce founders or, or brand owners from a different industry. Um, so so I like studying businesses and just mm -hmm. thinking about how um, different, what, what are the different things or considerations that business owners might have? Why is this move a good move or why is this not a good move? Um, and, and I think I'm learning through all of those means. Um, I, I like to bounce ideas with friends as well. So mm -hmm. like Lang Lang, you know Lee quite well um, as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I talk to him quite a bit because like he and I, we we think in a in a similar way, and I think he mm -hmm. he understands the industry. He understands um, what we are trying to do as a brand as well. So I think having friends to spar with is important. Um, but really, it's just about learning from all the different things that's happening around, not just mm -hmm. friends, but other brands that I'm looking at. Um, which is why I like to to study the watch industry because I think that there's like this luxury industry is quite an interesting one and, and there's quite a bit to learn from from all the different things that there's so many different brands and each of them are doing their own thing. Um, and you kind of see how people respond to it. Like, you know, if 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 um, Langer decides to to have a bundle with, with a purchase, you, you see how customers respond to that. Um, if VC decides to go by like a, a strict list, 
and they they don't care whether you're existing customer or you're not an existing customer yeah. you also see how people respond to that and that yeah. like informs me and in how i think about what to do next i guess that's interesting so yeah i'll find the consumer psychology no, of, uh, no marvel limited edition straps <laughs> no no <I> think, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so like that's interesting as well right like what is ap strategy when they're releasing a, a marvel theme watch you know i i read um i like to read opinion pieces as well and i think um i think it was revolution probably way that wrote about it uh, and how they're trying to enter the new um mainstream type of crowd and, and appeal to not just the watch collectors but the general population um whether it works out i'm not so sure uh, i i personally think that it's not not that great a move because it marvel is not something that might stay for the next 20 years like yeah, I, I might be wrong. You know, it might become the next big thing and everyone talks about it even a decade from now, but um, I, I don't think it has a staying power that AP is probably looking for. Yeah. Um, well, by I, the way, how long has Fast and Furious been going on for? Just so, like, 10. like 10 years? <laughs> 10 years, right? Okay. Not 10 years, because like it takes more than one year to make a movie, but it's on 10. Yeah. So yeah. let's say like the makeup isn't covering a... Uh, Vin Diesel's face that well recently. Well, it never was. <laughs> like he was never my favorite one. Yeah. So, All right. <laughs> but I love the uh, consumer psychology side that you bring up uh, in the luxury space, Ken. I, I find yeah. that particularly fascinating. I, yeah. Yeah. I think Long Long and I both love, well, like psychology in general yeah. and seeing yeah. people behave in groups and you know in these luxury spaces. It is really fascinating, especially their behavior. So yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, yeah. And then in terms of like what you said about AP, I heard, and I think it could be a bit of a long one, as in not a long story, but may not be true, is that they were trying to do something similar to what Genta did with Mickey Mouse. So, you know, Mickey Mouse being like at the time when he did it, he got kicked out mm -hmm. of Basel, right? But now, mm -hmm. you know, everybody knows it and stuff like that. And they've used essentially what is Mickey Mouse, you know, his famous Marvel characters and put it on a watch and then done the same thing. Um, it's a bit of a tall one, isn't it? <laughs> I thought you were going to say something like he got kickbacks or like he got a commission or something <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> okay. But the thing with that story yeah. is that the Mickey Mouse Genta isn't popular, <laughs> like even today. So... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't really believe that story, but that's what I heard. Yeah, I heard. Okay, yeah. right. So um, I want to go back to uh, what you said that, um, you know, a product doesn't necessarily define the business. Okay, so you're building up this business. So what is the vision of Deluxe? You know, surely it can't be, you know, going by what you're saying, it can't be we make great quality straps at affordable prices because that's just like, well, so can the next person. So yeah. what is the vision for Deluxe? Um, to, to me, when I when I think about it, I think what we want to achieve in like 10 years or, or 20 years is to be like the go-to watch accessories brand um, for three different groups of people. I think first is end consumers, so watch collectors, um, just general people buying straps, I guess. Um, the second group is is watch brands. So we want watch brands to think of Deluxe when you're thinking about how do you 
accessorize the watch, whether it's in your strap, whether it's in the case, um, packaging, for example. Uh, and the third group is like your retailers and your ADs and then your your dealer networks and whatnot. Um, so I think we want people to think deluxe, no matter what kind of accessories you're looking for, um, whether it's leather strap, whether it's a rubber strap, whether it's a fabric, bracelet, um, NATO, whatever you have it, you know, we want to be the, the option that people default to. And um, as well for brands, right? Like watch brands, independent watchmakers, they're great at making watches, um, but they may not be great at, at the accessories surrounding the watch, right? Like case in point, I think that the, the most recent launch that everyone was on Instagram probably saw is the... I saw your story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Acrivia the and uh, uh, LV uh, collab piece. Uh, like the watch is great, you know. There's, there's, it's, it's, I, I didn't go into all the, the, the details of it, but it just looks like a, a masterpiece. But then the, the strap that they decided to put on it, I think that it, it, it probably didn't do it the best uh, service, I guess. You could, they could have probably done a better job with that. So I feel like many of the watchmakers, when I talk to them, especially the independent ones, they spend all of their effort thinking about how do you design the movement, how do you um, think about the architecture, how do you finish the movement to the highest standard possible, how do you try to sell the watch. But the one thing that they all, like, it's an afterthought, it's always the strap. Like, what strap should I put on it? I'll just put the the, the most basic, boring, black alligator strap mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And it's quite a pity because, you know, the, the wearing experience, so much of it, is centered around how do you strap the watch on you know if, if it's a great watch but the strap is stiff as hell you can't you can't put it on then the immediate thought is like i can't wear this watch right so that's that's quite a pity and we want to um be the partner that that um, these brands can look to if they if they are looking to have a strap that you know elevates the watch or at least is on par with with the watch that they're bringing yeah mm. it's a bit like driving the ferrari with 12 inch wheels isn't it I'm not much of a car person in Singapore. It's hard. You'll be hard pressed to find a a, a car person. I drive for for practical reasons over here. But yeah. but yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So okay, all right. Um, you said about like your business filling a gap, right? And now, like you certainly aren't the only company that make watch straps. Do you think that that gap that was originally is completely full now? Like. There's no like if someone was to come in now, it'd be like pretty, pretty difficult, right? Yeah. Um. The, I think in the like in the past year, almost every other week, I see a brand that is that is promoting wow. their handcrafted watch strap. Um. I'm, I'm not even like exaggerating when I say that. Um. Just because I think since we've come in, there there are many people who see that you know people want people are willing to pay a certain price for this type of quality. And they are pushing mm -hmm. handcrafted strap as the quality um, to achieve. Um, so, so we are seeing a lot and a lot of people coming in and, and doing similar things to what we are doing. Um, so I, I do agree. I think that the gap has, you know, we, we were lucky to have first movers advantage. I think we were lucky that we, we managed to ride a certain wave in e-commerce during COVID. Um, today, if a brand were to come in and do the exact same thing, um, they can definitely find their own little corner of space, I guess, because we are not in every single country. We're not... We're not like not everyone knows about us yet, um, but I think it, it's going to be much harder to to like replicate whatever we did. Um, a lot of it is, comes down to luck as well. Like mm -hmm. you, you gotta be you. You have to be at the right place at the right time sometimes. And once the opportunity is lost, if you try to do the same thing, it's not gonna work out the same yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Right. I want to talk about a bit about your watch collection. So how did you collect and uh, what was that first watch you got? Um, the, the, the first mechanical watch I got was a Seiko. It was a Presage Starlight. Um, it has a nice IC sharp dial. Like for no me, I, you I had like to make straps. So, sorry? I said, no wonder you had to make straps. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get so killed by the like Seiko and shit. <laughs> oh my God. They, they, they don't have the best, best straps either. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, to me, like a DAO is, is, I like a, a good DAO, I guess, because it's the thing that you stare at the most, right? Um, mm. Yes, you do think about the case, you do look at the movement, but when you raise your hand up, the first thing you look at is the DAO. So I, I always like intricate DAOs. Um, so I started with a Seiko. Um, um, my, my collecting journey has been quite interesting because I, I think a little bit atypical because it was very heavily influenced by, it is very heavily influenced by the business. So a lot of the watches that I buy, a lot of the watches that I'm wearing, it's um, because of a business-related decision and not just because it's like pure personal preference, like this is what I like. And and I'm still exploring my taste as well. Um, so I started with a Seiko and then I moved on to a Speedmaster. I got a Speedmaster next. Um, one of the main reasons was because Speedmasters are great with straps and you could take nice photos and, and promote um, how different strap looks on the Speedmaster. Uh, so, so that was that 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 was one of the reasons why I was looking at the Speedmaster. Um, then I got like a Grand Seiko Snowflake, um, also because like I knew that was a quite a popular watch, and quite a lot of people like swapping different straps on it. Um, I liked the dial as well; like it 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 had an amazing dial. I think that's what Grand Seiko is known for. Um, so I was like getting watches that I thought would appeal to people um, when I tried to market different straps for it. Um, but at the same time, of course, exploring the watches and, and trying to uh, appreciating them. Like, I, I got to appreciate the watches and, and, and like them in the first place as well. Um, and, but if yeah. that was your um, train of thought, why didn't you just get a super plain, like, tank? Even like um, a quartz yeah. one. Yeah. I wish I knew as much about the tank when I first started yeah. as I as I now. But yeah, I think that, that would have been a, a much smarter move as well. Um, but one of the reasons was because, you know, the most common lug width that people buy is 20mm. And okay. so the, the Speedmaster yeah. is a 20mm watch and and that and same same for the Snowflake. Because when, mm. when I'm getting samples made, like I would only make one sample, right? I wouldn't make like a yeah. different lug width for it. So I'll make all the samples in 20mm. And um, that's what I had to photograph the the, the straps with. Um, so, funny story here is that I actually bought my my first Speedmaster that I bought wasn't the regular Speedmaster. It was actually the first Omega in space. Um, and, and those who know the watch, you know where the story is going. Because I, I like that watch because it doesn't have the crown guards and it's a slightly smaller size. It's not the same mm -hmm. size as the regular um, Speedmaster Professional. Mm -hmm. But the the main problem that I had was that that watch had a lug width of nineteen mm. I assumed that that all Speedmasters had a twenty mm, but there was nineteen. So that all the sample straps that I had like couldn't be fitted. So um, if you look at the first few, like the very very early on photos, mm. I was trying to squeeze the twenty mm straps into mm -hmm. the the first Omega in space because that mm. was the nineteen uh, lug width watch. So shortly after that, I I swapped, uh, I traded the first Omega in space for another watch because of that. Yeah. Did you okay. make these watch friends like? after your business started or you knew them before um watch friends you said 
like some like say Tilly and all these people in the watch uh after sorry. um sorry i think okay. most of my watch friends are um definitely through the business like i, I didn't come from okay. a background or a place where like luxury watches were mainstream mm-hmm. in my relatives or my family mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. most of us like weren't into luxury watches um okay. at least that i was um I, I didn't know many people who are into watches um, the same way that i am now okay. um so definitely all the, the friends that i've made is through the business through the instagram and then just meeting people and talking to them yeah. oh. i i asked that because i would have been like can i borrow your watches to photograph <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right do you do that now um, catch the photograph. I, I do i still do um i think that's one of the perks of like being in singapore is that because it's such a small place and then yeah you know it's, it's it's people are surprisingly um um willing to to loan watches out to other people like yeah you know i i i then that's something that's really surprising to me because yeah. you know these 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 watches are pretty expensive sometimes and and the fact that they're willing to just pass it to you and and yeah. let you remove the bracelet or remove the strap, yeah. put yours on, potentially maybe scratching their watch or like leaving a mark somewhere, um, but people are just like, yeah, take it, you know, you can have it for yeah. a week, two weeks. I think that's that's like amazing and, and and something that I didn't think or know was possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do find it weird because like if it was a car, you wouldn't lend your car. I know like some people use their car, right? But I know there's a functional reason. But if you even have lots of cars, I'd be like, no, (laughs) you know? And it's like, that's more of, that's most of the time, it's a lot cheaper than a watch, right? Yeah. 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 So, so that's, that's, that's one of the, the, the amazing things that I I found out about like this, this community and this group of people. Cause today we still, we still, I mean, um, I do have a lot of watches, but I think I still borrow Mm. watches to photograph because sometimes it's, just a watch that I probably just need for one photo or something to um, to show a different strap. And then, um, yeah, mm. so it's much better. Oh, I'm this. surprised, like, did you not get think of, like, getting a Sub or a Daytona? The, the thing with Rolex and the reason why you don't see many Rolex in my collection is because mm. I think most people just stick to the, the bracelet on the Rolex. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless it's like an Oyster Flex or... or um, mm. Yeah, most most Rolex that you see on the street, like people are just wearing it on the bracelet. Um, hardly do you see people taking it off and putting a, a a leather strap on. That's very rare. Most of the time, they'll take it off and put like a rubber strap on it. Um, yeah. So for that reason, like Rolex have never really been a big part of my collection. Um, yeah, my my collection is more like it is very dress watch centric at the start because mm. all the the straps that we made were leather straps, and that's where it makes a lot of sense. Um. But now it's starting to shift more towards like sports watches because we are making more rubber straps. Um, so I, I do get the watches to uh, do some R&D, do some testing, do some marketing. Um, so yeah, it changes. Have you okay. gotten any um, RMs? No, um, I haven't been lucky enough to get one at retail and i don't think i'll probably get one at no. the second no because i'm wondering you know how rm has all the thing with the oh our screws are different to change the yep. straps and whatever so i'm just curious if it's actually like can you actually just make it or is it really like impossible um the straps itself i know people who do like aftermarket rm straps so that mm-hmm. is a, a thing that, that there are strap makers doing it um, I'm not exactly sure how the screws 
function. I think I'm pretty sure you could probably use the same screw and just switch out the strap uh, on the RM. Mm. But like the challenge with RM is that I, I from from looking at it, I think there are many different models and each one of them probably needs a different fit to the strap. Mm. So okay. so that's that's the challenging part. You have to like you when you make one strap, it's just for that model of RM. It doesn't fit mm-hmm. the other models. Yeah. Mm, okay. Which watch do you think like looks best? Like with the particular strap, like do you personally really like, or a combo that you really like? Um, I, I think Lang Lang give 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 it away just now when she said Katia tank. Uh, I think the oh. tank is is super versatile. Mm. Um, mm. And, and yeah, it's 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 so we we do this thing called the strap guide, um, where I I actually approach different people in the community and I send them straps and they create like an article with photos of um, how that watch looks on different straps. So one of the first few strap guides we made was for the Cartier tank. And um, um, the, the the guy who, who who did up the strap guide, he did such a fabulous job because he actually, so, so we sent like five straps over for him to take photos with. And for every single photo, he actually dressed up in a totally different outfit to show so how cool. to show how the strap and the watch looks on that outfit. So one of them was like a navy Safiano strap and he put on like an entire suit, like a like a blue suit and, and uh with, with with tie and all that and took photos with that. And then he switched out the strap and then took a different set of photos with like a with like a green jacket on. Um so that and, and those photos I think like um if you if you Google Katia Tank strap, I think it's one of the, the top few images that shows up. Just because of how good it looks. Um, wow! So I think that wow. the tank is one of the most versatile. Like yeah. recently, we've been putting rubber straps as well, and it kind of looks. Um, it, it 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 surprises people to think that oh, rubber strap mm-hmm. that, that belongs on a sports watch, but mm-hmm. because our rubber straps are very plain, it kind of looks good on the tank as well. Interesting. And, and there, I was thinking the effort that Long Long puts in when she does these little promotions <laughs> video. That, that's not taking the piss. I actually think you do it yeah. really well. Like and, and look good, you know, but clearly not good enough. Yeah, you know, you're gonna no, to like dress up and, and like color code yeah, that shit now. It's because I'm wearing clothes. <laughs> so, so can we name that person that put in all this yeah. effort? Yes, um, I I want to make sure I get the name right because it's been a while since that one was made. Just give me one moment. Uh, I thought it would be something like Watchrology or something that would do that. I thought it would be no. I thought it's Zili. He dresses no, really. No. Well. Zili, oh. yeah, he dresses well, but I think he's too busy to be to be making uh, all of this. <laughs> um, uh, Danny, I want to say no, uh, not me. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 not a like huge on, on on social media right. yeah so his uh tom yeah tom yeah um his, his instagram is the speedy shutter um so okay. so give him a follow and and yeah you you can you can google cartier tank strap guide and check it out and see um the amazing work he's done the photos and the dressing up like that that the level of effort blows my mind um when i when i see it okay well that finishes the main interview ken Great interview, by the way. Like great answers. And great, so now thanks. we're going to reverse around. So nice. your turn. Um, so first question um for for Lang Lang. Um, you know, there, <laughs> there are many brands 
today they are trying to cater more to the female market, um, deluxe mm-hmm. included. Uh, what yeah. do you think is the right approach? <laughs> plug in, like, deluxe <laughs> included, by the way. Yeah, cut it out. I mean, cut it out, Long. Cut it out. Yeah, I'll cut that part out for sure. Yeah. Do you know what? Every time he says deluxe, yeah. can you put in that yeah. thing that they do when people swear? Yeah. <laughs> that <would be> funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So, so many brands are trying to cater mm. to more to the female market. What do you think mm. is the right approach for brands to do so? Because, um, you know, is, do you think it's about developing products that are catered more to females, or do you think it's like from the marketing angle to market more to females, whether it's in the photos or the videos mm. or the ambassadors that they pick? But you know, because at the same time, you have some some people that are saying like, oh, um, don't presume what a female would buy or wouldn't buy. So if you mm-hmm. like make watches or that that have like jewelry or a certain color palette, you know, yeah. like that that is from the brand's perspective that is meant to um, cater more to females. But then people might say like, you know, I, I just because I'm a female doesn't mean I have to buy yeah. a watch with jewelry or, or or like a light color. So what what do you think is the, the right approach for brands to market to females? Okay, you know the way, I mean, I'm sure like if you listen to the podcast, like over the years, my answer is different. But something like I realized over the years is that, uh, okay, my first point is, and I can speak for Jacqueline about this. I think we are the two girls that don't give a shit at all. (laughs) We're just like, hey, ignore us. It's cool. It's fine. (laughs) Like, I don't mind. Second point is, the less you market to girls, the better. So if you actually look at Rolex, uh, uh, then they actually, when you, okay, I know like when you walk into Rolex, it's very clear. This is the female section. This is the men's section. But I think the way that a lot of the novelties that came out for men, right, this year and last year, the super colorful dials, a lot of women immediately went, okay, I want that right mm. or like they had the um subs with the purple light blue sapphires so yeah. black dial right a lot of the stuff it's like okay i know that size is too big but when you don't try it just works because uh, women men everyone's the same they want nice things so immediately they want that you know um and so that's my second thing the less you market the better but i also realized over the years that all this energy that people put into like how do i market for a girl blah 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 blah. and i used to go to these events and get super frustrated and think why do you have this like photo booth like why do you put so many like so many flowers everywhere and then i realized something it works it's just because i think i'm like the small percentage of people that don't appreciate these very feminine things but at the end of the day it works but i think the only gap that makes it really hard for them to make a sale is and I'm really scared to say this because I know every girl's going to hate me for saying this, but a lot of the sale, right? It's the payment is being made by the husband. So Mm. it's pointless wasting so much time (laughs) marketing to this woman, like this girl and the guy's not there. So who's going to (laughs) pay? So then how do you bridge that next visit for the girl to bring the guy into the boutique to pay? How does that happen? Isn't well, there a higher chance? That's a real yeah, talk. But, but why don't yeah. you just make the event for men, but then make the invite so that they have to bring the wife or the girlfriend, 
And then when they're at the event, like ambush them <laughs> with the female watches. <laughs> like, but I feel the- like if any brand tries that, they'll probably get get like. Why do you assume that females don't make purchases on their own? Yeah, I know. I mean, this is why you have to do it discreetly. <laughs> but then I, I would say, yeah. What? Why yeah. do we assume? Yeah. That we need more women into watches. But you know, like, any cult that has yeah. the power to pay, that has that much, uh, like, uh, spending power, they don't even care if you make fun of them because they're like, okay, just make fun of me. I'll still buy it anyways because I'm so desperate to get the watch. You can say whatever you want. And yeah. then you have another level, which is I don't even need to entertain your shit. I'll just pay premium. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I just feel like, you know, is watches, and this is a question, it's not my opinion, but like actually just something that men are more interested in, you know, because like, let's say dolls, Yeah. you know, like, should we be trying to make more men go into dolls, you know, or, or even like other female accessories? maybe it just is like that right yeah um and also women i think generally have um they have a lot of other shit to buy they got like handbags mm-hmm. bracelets jewelry clothes shoes there's like millions of well not millions but like a, a lot more stuff trying to draw their attention like if you go on instagram a lot more stuff trying to draw their purchasing power than it's it, you're competing against all those because you know, essentially, you're talking about money, right? Like that, they could spend their money on it. Has to draw away from that. And watches aren't the cheapest of things. So imagine like know, how many shoes a woman can get. How many, lots of other things, right? Yeah, but you know what I realized as well. The thing that Ken was doing with the um, that um, how to dress thing, you know, with the Cartier. Yeah, they sh- like this would work like hundred percent because the problem is. Women don't know, so they can put an outfit together easily. They can do uh, the, okay, the jacket, the shoes, the pants, everything. But then you tell them choose a watch, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, which one? Okay, so <laughs> first you have to teach them how to do it. And the only role models, at least in my time, was like Victoria Beckham wearing like a gold Daytona. So you yes. memorize that. And then when someone Googles it, they're like, oh my God, it's 48,000 back then, right? So then you're like, okay, uh, let me look for something that looks like that. So then you need to keep pushing these images to them to show them that, hey, you can get a tank and the tank is this amount. And then you pair it with this strap. And this is why I think if you go on Net-A-Porter more frequently and you look at under fine watches, I mean, now they have more. But or if, if you look under watches, there are some brands that are similar to Banford where they kind of just play with the straps. I think there's one called California or something. can't remember. But they're tiny tanks and then mm, colorful straps. Yeah. They sell well because I've done the variation for you. I've done mm. this outfit and then you just click A, B, C, D and then you're done. Yeah. yeah, but then women want it to be like, they need to learn this. It's like learning how to wear different types of boots and learning yeah. how to, what do I wear with brown boots instead of like, you know, jeans do i need to wear a skirt you need to learn these variations and then you know what to do yeah yeah i, I think to, to lang lang's point i think most people can't imagine that well like you think yeah. you can but then it's only when you see a photo of something that you really go like oh this this works exactly and my last stupid um part of this answer is if you want to study this i think a really dumb way is to look at like eyeshadow palettes 
because nobody mm. is born to know how to do makeup. But it's like, hey, I dumb it down for you. I make these palettes for you. So now you go, oh, these colors go together and you learn this. Mm, so yeah. they need to be taught like, hey, this nude strap can go with this watch. And then they will look for these straps next time. Right, right. Yeah. Like creating a dummy's guide on how do you match yeah. the watch. I am shit with color matching. Like nightmare is like nah nightmare is like picking wallpaper and they give you a swatch which is like two centimeters by two centimeters like <laughs> fuck what do i do with this shit and you don't want to you don't, you don't want to yeah, look exactly. like a numpty like put it in your fucking wall and you don't want to go to the guy because i can't see that you know what i mean like i can't do that and you're like yeah, give me a bit more give me a bit more Nah, a bit more come on yeah <laughs> and, then, and then you put it on your wall and you're supposed to stare at it and you see and suddenly see it i, I can't see shit I, uh, we, we we recently um, moved into our place, so we were doing renovation for a while. Uh, my my wife is the one with the 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 design eye. For me, I can't like I, I'm I'm okay with strap pairings now because like I've been doing it for long enough. Um, but with with anything else, like whether this color goes with this, um, she'll show me like two different colors and like pick one. To me, it's like that's the same color. The same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but 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 Daniel, to your your earlier point on like why do brands even want to market to females. I think like, earlier we spoke about um, um, having a gap in the market. You know, I think even though it's true, you know, watches are, I think, primarily male-dominated, um, largely male-dominated, um, but yeah. there's still there are still female collectors out there, um, some with, you know, high, very high spending power. And if no one is marketing to them, then that's just a, uh, an opportunity for brands to come in and, and take that space. Um, yeah. So, I, like, I feel like Cartier has done well in that regard because, just because the product line, you know, it, it caters to both um, genders in terms of like, the size, in terms of the the, the product ranges. Um, so just yeah. because of that, like they have secured that 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 female collectors um, um space pretty well. Yeah, actually, Panerai uh, pretty yeah, well I mean, too. Yeah. I would say for Cartier though, it's slightly easier because they're so jewelry related. So the cross mm -hmm. jumping over to the, you're going to see the watches anyway because you're going to go and see the jewelry first. You know. Yeah. yeah. It isn't, yeah. I'm sure this isn't for all women, right? But if they go to a Cartier store, the first mm -hmm. thing they're going to look at is jewelry and not like secondary watches, right? Yeah. 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 All right. Um, okay. Um, let's go on to Daniel. Um, so Daniel, you were one of the, the co-founders of Shanghai Watch Gang. I was, um, yeah. Which, which is now defunct, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Active. Um, what, what do you think makes a club a club and not just a group of friends is hanging out and talking about watches? Like what what makes it work? Mm, good question. And I guess what what doesn't make it work? Like why did it go inactive or defiled? Yeah. Um, I think uh, when you set up a watch group, well, at least for me, right, it was about finding more people. Like two things: finding more people that kind of liked what I liked, right, and the second was to see more watches that I couldn't buy myself. And over time, like I got my fill from that, right? And then it's like, okay, what do we do with this group of people? Mm -hmm. And then can we even like monetize it? And monetization of a watch club is one of the most difficult things, I think. Yeah. Like we explored so many things. And, and the main thing is, right, is you don't own anything actually, mm. right? Like you don't own the relationship with somebody. It's, it's free will. You know if they yeah. want to be part of a club at all so um you know you're trying to grow you know because you're trying to get numbers of people but actually i think if i was to do it again 
and I have thought about doing it again, right? But I do it on my own terms. Would be something more like pure, like、mm. for really, really watch love, and definitely with an educational value. Where I'd love to do something where I work with the Horological Society of New York, and we had like maybe once a get together, like、um, small group,、uh, going through a lecture,、uh, something like this, and everybody that was coming in. Was like vetted, like a lot strongly than、mm. um, what we were doing,、mm. right? We that's so, and then that was what that's、uh, how I would try and do it, so that you try and keep the the quality. And actually, I wouldn't give a crap about how many people were turning up, because、yeah. I found you know two people turn up, you can have the absolute blast of a conversation, right? Yeah, and、uh, everybody gets like value out of that. And then I think if it was so pure, you know, to support the group—I mean, non-profit in a way—but to support expansion of that actual group, so the quality of the content was getting better. I think people would pay like a membership fee, knowing full well that this isn't going into someone's like pocket. You know, trying to do that. But then it begs the question: like, is there a point where you know it gets too much work? Too much work. So yeah, I, exactly. You know, Like, because there's no monetary value, right? So, yeah, I think that's something that, yeah, still figuring out. But then, you know, to your point, Shanghai Watchgang. If you look at, well, I'm at Phillips now, and then Austin went and set up Wristcheck, and then、mm-hmm. Andy Andy Jang, he's like,、uh, he's the CEO of Watchbox China. So I think we all kind of leverage that platform.、Mm-hmm. To the best we could, I think, and got the most out of it because there's certainly without Shanghai Watch Gang, I wouldn't be at the Phillips position. I don't think Austin would be who he is, and I don't think Andy would be who he is either. Yeah. Do you think that watch like? Do you think that there's a natural progression for watch clubs? Do you think that watch clubs can exist without a monetization angle or like a? a I yeah,、uh, yeah. This is a. Interesting question because we recently had Jonathan Chan Chan on from the Horology、oh, Club. Oh, okay, the Horology Club. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I always privately talk to him about this particular topic.、Mm-hmm. Uh, you're trying to grow and trying to thing, and, and the thing is, like, you Lung, you're totally associated with. You, you've been to so many watch clubs and gatherings, right? And the thing is, the conversation, yeah, gets regurgitated so many times, right? Like on certain things that it gets so mundane, right? So, not only is it taking a lot of your time, but it's not、yeah. as enjoyable as it was, right? So then you're in this kind of maybe rat race to try and monetize it. And I'm like I said, I, I'm yet to see a watch club really, really be able to monetize and, and do well. Yeah. So,、uh, yeah, I'm not convinced to be honest that it's even it's if you do monetize it, you can actually. It's it's still worth it just because you monetize it. Does still doesn't make it mean it's worth it, right? Is there gonna be a D logs watch club? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, it's it's something I've I've thought about because we have we have um so our our customer base is quite um、uh, international. We we、yeah. do mostly in the US, but we have like pockets of 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 um customers and and fans around the world, and um like many of them, like every time we do a physical event. Uh, a lot of comments will be like, "Oh, come to Malaysia! Oh, come to to the US! Come to like London!" Uh, so yeah, are, we we do have like people around the world that are interested in in what we're doing and would love to see like the products. Would love to see, 
um, the straps and, and just try things on. Um, so I think because of the nature of our, our products, it lends itself well to meetups and, and people gathering because yeah. you're not yeah. just talking about watches. Like you have something to do, which is like try on different straps for your watches and yeah. see if something looks good or not. Um, so it, it's something that I've been, we, we, it's something that I've thought about for sure. Um, and, and I mean, for us, there, there is a clear, like, yes, definitely that is for the, the passion of, of meeting up with people and, and building up a, a support network of friends, uh, in your city. But of course it's like deluxe where we, we are, a, a a business. So I think there's always that the business angle to it. Um, I, so that, that I helps. Just, yeah. yeah. I think the difference between you doing one and Dan doing one, right. Is that. Okay, if you do a watch club that has no... Okay, so let's say for D-Logs, everyone has a chance to buy a strap. So there isn't actually any competition. There's just sharing of ideas and being like, hey, nice strap, nice strap. It's very pleasant. But when you don't have a goal where everyone can achieve, that's when it starts to get bitter because everyone in these watch clubs, it's always a few big personalities. Everyone wants to be like, I'm the richest, I'm the biggest, I'm the whatever then so conflict will always happen if you look at every single watch club there's always a fallout and then they split right yeah, 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 and then when yeah. there's a fallout it goes to the founder like hey sort it out and then that's when you're like i don't want to run this shit anymore so <laughs> i think that's the difference yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean we we do have a if we do set up one you know we have a clear like monetization or financial incentive to keep it going um mm -hmm. it's just whether we we can well a lot of it is like there are many ideas floating around, things that we can do with this business yeah. because I think the fun part about being a accessories business is that we are quite brand agnostic and and mm -hmm. we can serve the entire watch population, right? Like it doesn't matter whether you like um, Grand Seiko, Cartier, Omega, Patek, mm -hmm. Independence, micro brands, yeah. um, no matter which part of the spectrum of watch collecting you're at, whether you're just starting out or like you're a seasoned collector, we do have something that we can offer yeah. And I think that that ability to speak to every single collector out there um, does help us to have different possibilities on like what are things that we can do and consider. Um, definitely a watch club is something that I've been quite interested in because I think that um, there's a lot of fun when you meet up with people and you try on different straps and that like, especially like post-COVID, you know, people yeah. want a reason to meet up, um, to see their friends and just to hang out. And not just like look at each other on the screen like this. I think um, I think it's actually very simple. Like, obviously, I'm for Philips now. So if I did something with that, then you know, potential clients, if, you know, that's the most obvious thing. And with you, it'd be like obviously people buying straps. So if you yeah. have that monetary angle, which is really clear, then it's easier because it's not the main focus. You know, the main focus is still business, right? Let's be honest. Mm. Um, then just running a watch club with what is the objective here? You know. It, yeah it's a lot clearer in your mind and therefore there's a reason to do it yeah right so we now go on to the pump push around right 10 questions we've got, got some classic og ones this time okay nothing too difficult right number one favorite quote of all time um what doesn't kill you makes you stronger right <laughs> number two Person you would want to have a conversation with, dead or alive? Oh, um, Steve Jobs, probably. Okay. Yeah. One piece of advice you would give to your child, your own child, growing up? 
do what makes you happy and don't have any regrets. Okay. Mm. A childhood toy or pastime that used to play or partake in. Childhood toy. Can it be like a game? Yeah, mm. can be. Um, when when I was in, in uh, this was a long time ago, in primary school. Um, there's this game called RuneScape. Any of you know it or play I've it? I've heard of it. I've heard yeah, of it's, it. it's it's a it's a role playing game where you go around and 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 level up your skills. I guess you can fight monsters. You can you can do different things. Um, I I spent so many hours doing repetitive actions that when i look back on it it's like why why did i spend so much so much time just doing that like chopping a tree just to yeah. level up in my wood cutting <laughs> skill chopping a tree yeah yeah <laughs> i feel you man i feel you chopping a tree is important that sometimes you know in your life yeah yeah no you're just, you're just clicking on a screen and like yeah. you, you you click on the on the tree and you like chop it down right. and then you chop it down you get the wood and you wait for it to grow again and then you chop it down again and you repeat until you're full yeah. of like yeah. don't worry you don't need to explain it to me i know <laughs> but yeah no, no. what what is yeah. what is but what is taught me though is is um resilience like i think that there's a, or persistence there's a, yeah persistence that's right. yeah don't even try okay. <laughs> yeah but i just just on a quick yeah. note because this is a pump push around yeah. like in china right you know that new game diablos right i think it's diablos 2 yeah that came out yeah, you could actually pay somebody to level up for you. And it's like really cheap. Like every day he spends 11 hours, you pay him like hardly anything. Yeah. And then you actually get to play a fucking hard, hard case level person. Yeah. That, that a couple of my friends have done that. <laughs> I was like, oh like, what is the point? But they were like, I want to partake in it, but I can't be bothered. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Next one. Uh, something from the past that doesn't exist anymore that you wish you could bring back. Oh, oh. oh this one is is there uh, still okay. cutting down trees <laughs> sorry sorry Lala. is there, is there still pink dolphin the drink in singapore I, think, I, haven't, I haven't looked at it in a while but i think i think there is yeah okay. do, do you do you used to drink that a lot yeah that's why i'm worried that it's gone um <laughs> uh, oh oh this one is tough um oh was great last I, I would say, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, this should be easy for you because Singapore has had so many big changes. That's true. Um, that's true. But, but it's like, it's, it's like good changes as well. You know, you know, many yeah. of the, the things that, are, that were gone, it's like, oh, it's, I don't particularly miss it, I guess. Um, but one thing I, I do miss is um, um, McDonald's, they had like their soft serve ice cream. There was a period of time where, where each of them were like 25 cents. Uh, soft serve ice cream, which is like, yeah. Well, as a kid, that was great, but I think today I, I wouldn't probably like it as much as, as back then. But but wow. the idea that you could like get something like that for such a cheap price is amazing. Yeah. I think it took you a while to get there, but it was a good answer. <laughs> right, number six, best movie of all time. Uh, I'm gonna say, I really like Inception. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think it right. makes you. Number seven, best book of all time. The Harry Potter series. Yeah, oh, that's good. Great. Yeah, yeah, good. Number yeah. eight, if you could pick an age to go back to relive, what age would you pick? Like, like my own age, or, or... like, like yeah, I don't know how old you are, but if you could pick like an age, like eleven, twelve, eighteen, which year would you pick? 
21. Uh, it's, it's, it's always good to be to be um, having the freedom of studying overseas and, and, and living your life uh, without any baggage and, and like worrying about big big questions I guess yeah or or just being 21 and being an insecure idiot yeah <laughs> <laughs> right uh number nine someone you look up to that isn't family hmm. um I'm, I'm i'm gonna go with with a business person again i think steve jobs is someone because i i think like the fact that you can create categories of products that people didn't even know they want or like um and then generate that demand i think that's that's like the 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 dream or or, or a lot of what people are trying to achieve in business yeah that's cool right and last one something from your bucket list one thing from your bucket list um i do want to go on um in, in the us um i i like to go hiking and um there is I like to do like multi-day hikes and 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 all that because in Singapore you don't you don't have much of that scenery over here. Uh, you, you, yeah, it's, it's nothing at all. Um, so in the US there's this trail called the John Muir Trail, um, that runs uh, on the west coast. Uh, it's like a three weeks hike, I think. Um, mm -hmm. so I would love to be able to go back there and and, and complete that hike. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. That sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah right. It is. Yeah. So that ends the podcast. Did you enjoy your time? Yeah, I did. It was it was fun. Uh, I I hope you guys enjoy your time as well. Uh, yeah. Out. yeah, it was good. It was a good episode, but I do say that for everyone. Right, <laughs> see you guys on the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. -bye. As always, thank you for listening to the waiting list podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach out to us at the waiting list podcast on Instagram or via our private accounts. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.